Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome into a fresh, brand new episode, the first episode of 2019 of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Hope you all are doing well out there. Happy New Year to you. Hope you enjoyed it with friends and family. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host. And as always, I am joined by my friend, cohort, and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, Happy New Year, man. Did you, uh, did you do anything fun for New Year's Eve? Um, New Year's Eve, no, not really. I, I watched a lot of Futurama. Every time around New Year, I like to watch Futurama because of... Um, the the opening episode where that's a, a pretty big portion of it but outside of that no not not really i watched a lot of football over the uh the holiday break but new year's eve i, I don't really do much futurama great great show very underrated if i don't know if you if you hadn't seen it i, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast yeah Fantastic really should stop show. listening to the podcast and go watch the show actually <laughs> well the, the, there's a couple reasons people should stop listening yeah. to this particular episode we're going to give you a disclaimer on that uh, I actually had one of my more enjoyable New Year's this year. I stayed in with my girl and we played Mario Party on Nintendo 64. It was a very awesome time. I will say, though, that son of a bitch Waluigi did did me dirty, man. Did me dirty. That game has it out for me. Still have never won a game of Mario Party. So that's what I'm working on. That's my New Year's resolution for 2019. You have any uh, New Year's resolutions? No, not, not really. I'm already uh, perfect, so... Really can't get much better <laughs> than I am. Um, in all seriousness, um, probably not. Maybe eat more vegetables or something. I, that seems that seems pretty attainable. But uh, watch less Ohio State football, maybe. Already kind of failed that one. Already failed that one on the first day, really. I think I watched entirely too much uh, Ohio State football on the, the first day of the new year. Maybe enough for the whole year, not just take the year off. Oh, hey, man, we, we got it out of the way. My New Year's resolution is to be comfy physically, whether it's wearing sweatpants, sweaters, whatever it may be. And I was not comfy. I was comfy for a half. It was a very comfy first half, yeah. It was a very comfy first half as we watched Ohio State win the Rose Bowl, finish the season 13-1 and with their 28-23 to win over the Washington Huskies this three minutes into the podcast. This is what we're talking about today, Ohio State's win in the Rose Bowl. And I, I guess we're, we're going to unpack everything here and I guess wrap up the season because this is, this is it. And it's really funny, ironic, and very fitting that this game played out the way that it did because it feels like everything that we've talked about all season, everything that we talked about in the lead up to this game, and everything that's defined the 2018 Ohio State Buckeyes happen against Washington and the Rose Bowl. And... You know, coming into this thing in our preview episode, I predicted that Ohio State would win this game 42 to 13. And the first half, they're up 28 to 3. And I was like, man, 
I feel really good about this. Like they are wrecking these dudes. They don't look like they belong on the same field. That you could just see that Ohio State was ready to play. Their ceiling is so much higher than Washington. Their floor is so much higher. And this is the team that we saw for most of the game against Michigan and we wanted to see all season. And then the second half happened. And it was just a perfect amalgamation of, I don't know if I even used that right, but it was just a perfect representation of everything that we have talked about this season and what Ohio State has done. And I I don't want to spend 55 minutes complaining about Ohio State winning the Rose Bowl because I will say up front, it's awesome that they won the Rose Bowl. I'm super happy about it, but it it was so fitting for this game to happen like this. And it it is what this team deserves. It is what we deserve as fans. And I I don't really know how it could go any other way. Yeah. The, um, I, I wrote a, um, like a, a, an immediate reaction piece during the game. That's just the usual stock market report that I do. And I wrote in the, the first half, this is how confident I was that Ohio state was going to step off the gas and this was going to happen. In the first half, I wrote that it was a a great first half and a disappointing second half, before the second half even happened, because they really telegraph it when they're going to suck for an entire half. They really, really telegraph it. And what did we say in the preview, that this one could be like the Cotton Bowl? And it was. It was the Cotton Bowl. They damn near blew a 25-point lead. Yeah, Jake Browning was better than Sam Darnold, um, as he has been forever and will continue to be forever. (laughs) Uh, And that's why Washington came back and USC didn't. But... um, yeah, it was it was the same thing. It was, you know, Ohio State's offense in the first half. And I wrote a film study that people should go read. It's it's massive and goes into pretty significant detail about um, what actually happened in the first half. Because the first half was awesome. The first half play calling was really creative and it, it felt um, organic. It felt not not necessarily reactive to what Washington was doing, but more predictive almost. It, it felt like Ohio State was dictating to Washington what Washington was going to do, and they were just killing them. It, was, it felt like Ohio State's offense was really finally doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing. And the offense wasn't really the, the issue this year, obviously, but it still felt like the offense could be so much more all season long, and they were in the first half. They were fantastic they were running the ball well they were throwing the ball well everything was those holes in the run game. yeah the um the the run game the way that they were using motion the way that they were using counter concepts everything it was exactly what we had been asking for all season long they were finally doing it and then in the second half they like i i they just forgot i guess how well it had worked in the first half they forgot what they were doing in the first half to make the running game work. They forgot um, really how to pass at all, it felt like. And um, they, I, Washington changed quite a bit of what they did in the second half. Washington switched from mostly zone and um, generally a three- or four-man rush to mostly blitz and quite a bit of man. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is... A, a not great start for Ryan Day or if it was just kind of Ohio State uh, trying to sit on a lead and not really wanting to make a ton of adjustments. But Ohio State did not make any adjustments in the second half. Ohio State, they didn't even stick with the creative play calling that was working in the first half. Their adjustment was that they were just going to go back to like 
um, most of the Penn State game or like the Purdue game or even like Minnesota. They they were going to go back to that style of offense instead of keeping with the creative play calling. And they, they pretty much did the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do <laughs> against a team playing a heavy blitz, um, mostly man-centric defense. They, they held the ball for too long and tried to run into uneven boxes. And it just... It was just bad. It was bad football, and the defense. Um, I, I think the defense was the defense was obviously very good in the first half. In the second half, it kind of fell apart. I don't think it helped how much they were on the field, but um, it was still not a great game. It was not a, a good or even decent game for our two favorite guys, Tough Borland and Pete Warner. Those guys stink. They need to not start Wolf. anymore because those guys stink. And I, <laughs> I, I know that we don't like to. Um, we don't like to criticize players, and we certainly criticize Bill Davis and Greg Schiano, who should be fired um, more than we do players. But Tough Borland and, and Pete Warner, I don't think it's their fault. Um, I think they're smart guys. I think that they understand how to play football, but they're not Ohio State caliber athletes. They're just not. They're not fast enough. Um, and the defense kind of fell apart in the second half, and then everything fell apart. And it was just... It was the same thing, and it was it was kind of funny to see all like the third quarter takes about how Ohio State deserved to be in the playoff, and this proves it. And then Ohio State showed why they're not in the playoff, um, which was fitting. I mean, it's what they did all year was they they showed how awesome they could be, and then they lost by 29 to Purdue, or um, you know almost lost to Minnesota, or almost lost to a Penn State team that looks real bad right now, and. Just, you know, it's, it's disappointing. That's the thing that, that stood out to me about this. And that's why I, I'm not, and, and that's like the internet meme is like, I'm not even mad about this. I, I, really I do not care wasn't. about and, this team and, anymore. And, <laughs> no, and, and, and that's why that's why I can at least enjoy that they won the game. Yeah. And and it should be celebrated that they, that they won the Rose Bowl. But, you know, it, it is just, like I said at the top, very ironic. And it really is funny that, there were those takes, and I, I do think a lot of that was warranted after the way they played in the first half, and if they would have continued that in the second half, I could totally understand and respect why people would have that opinion because they looked like one of the best teams in the country in that first half, and I, I think that their ceiling was that they could, I don't know if they could beat Alabama, I don't think so, I wouldn't pick them to, I wouldn't pick them off top to beat Clemson, but the ceiling with which they played for most of the Michigan game and the first half of the Washington game, are they the closest one? Are they right there with those two? I think so. But the thing is, is that we didn't see it consistently all season. We saw it for the Michigan game and the first half of this game. And I, I don't want to take away anything from Washington, especially their defense, because they have a lot of high caliber dudes on that defense. And they were able to adjust, like you said, in the second half. And Chris Peterson is a very good in-game adjuster and coach when it comes to figuring things out on the fly and being able to stop what opponents are doing. So I don't want to make it seem like it was just Ohio State, but a lot of it really did feel that way because we've seen that not only this season, but in past seasons too. And, you know, we'll we'll talk more about individual players because there, there are some cool things to get to from this game and some landmarks that players hit. And obviously it, it being Urban Meyer's last game, and we'll touch on that. But going back to it, we've, we've alluded the past couple of weeks and that game only solidified it for me and me feeling this way is that in hindsight, this was a one game season that it really felt like 
the only game that they eyed all year long was the Michigan game because I think that they knew that they could beat TCU. TCU wasn't the same caliber of non-conference game that teams in the past like Oklahoma have been. It wasn't a home or away game. It was a neutral site game. I'm, I believe that they knew that they could handle TCU even when they didn't play their best, and that's what they did. And the only game they really had eyes for all season after they passed the Penn State game. They didn't even pay up. They did not pay attention to the Penn State game either. <laughs> they were not prepared. <laughs> and, and, and looking looking back at Penn State, that that makes sense. And, and you were right that this this game, the second half, the play calling felt a lot like Penn State. We saw a lot of Dwayne Haskins reads on third and short. That was that really weird play. I think it was in the fourth quarter where instead of giving the ball off to J.K. Dobbins, he kept it and he was going to throw and Ben Burkirvin just like lit him up and it wasn't even close. And they had to throw the ball short to Dobbins and, and try to make him juke six guys to get a first down. It, it just felt like a lot that the coaches were like, okay, guys, just, I don't know, go out there and, and win it. We don't have adjustments for them. And that to me, it, it just solidified that it really felt like it was a one game season. Their goal was to beat Michigan and it was a great year, 13 and one, but it does feel like there were some things that were, missing and for them to not not even hit that ceiling constantly because it's unfair to ask a bunch of young kids to be able to do that but to play at the floor that they did for a lot of the season I I think is disappointing and ultimately it's their fault it's the coach's fault and I think with this just felt like it had 2018 Urban Meyer's fingerprints all over it and I don't mean it in a negative way that it was a fitting way for him to go out because for the last couple of seasons, this is how he's coached and he hasn't coached to win. They've played not to lose and they've hung on for the most part. Sometimes they've gotten embarrassed. There's been some close games that they've lost and it was a fitting way for it to end. Yeah, I, I think fitting is the the best way to, to describe it. it. It felt like um, I, I joked on Twitter, I think the more I think about it, the more it might have actually been the case, that it, it felt like Ryan Day coached the first half, and then they, they scored a touchdown early in the second half, and then he told Urban Meyer, for old time's sakes, you get to call the rest of the game, and Urban Meyer did as Urban Meyer's want to do, and just kind of just kind of sat on it, and didn't didn't look to um, to score anymore, or adjust, and I, I doubt that that's actually what happened, because that would be um, that would be absurd. That would be an absurd thing to do in a football game, but um, it, it it was just it was conservative. It was bad. It was no adjustments at all to the blitz. It, it was like Ohio State completely forgot how they just played Michigan, a, a team who does pretty similar things to what Washington was doing in the second half. They just forgot to do that, and they were running right into the line on first down, and it was just. It, it was bad. It was bad football. Um, it, it was fitting because they won the game. They uh, they looked really good doing it at times. They looked really bad at other times. Um, and I felt worse after watching it. <laughs> and that's that's just kind of how Urban Meyer is. And, and to, I, I want to dive into that because we have to talk about that being his last game and kind of what it means is to me that it was just, it showcased, and we said this before, we've been saying this since basically, we've really said it all season, but when it became official that he was going to step down and retire, we've been saying it, that it was time. 
And this was like the final nail of that, that it is time. There, there's nothing else that he needs to prove to himself. There's nothing that he needs to prove to anybody in college football or, or that he can do. I, I think that, you know, 2014 was probably his zenith. And this was, he, he's still one of the best coaches in the country, but it's clear to me when we bring this up and people say, well, how did they beat Alabama in 2014? He didn't, he didn't clam up then. No, but I, I think that this game and this whole season is a perfect representation that 2018 Urban Meyer isn't 2014 Urban Meyer. And he's still very good and better than almost everybody else that they can still get away with some of those things and make more mistakes than those teams did both on and off the field. And by off the field, I mean schematically and how they use players. But it's clear that whatever edge that those teams had is missing. And I think that that, that has to start with him. And it starts with the coaches and whatever mentality was there. Like the mentality that the 2014 team had going into the Michigan State game on the road after they had lost to those guys the previous year, they just don't have that. And that that's not a knock on them. But I, they've just won so much, and it's so hard to keep that up. And I think that he's the type of coach that just grind, literally grinds himself into the dust. That it, it's hard to do that every single year. And when they can't use that mentality and not play with that sort of attitude, this is what you get from him as a coach. And to me, this was a perfect way for him to go out 13-1. and one, They get to win the Rose Bowl. There are going to be people that say, hey, they should have been in the playoff. And that's how we remember the season is them destroying Michigan, them winning the Big Ten title game against Northwestern, and then them winning the Rose Bowl. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But I do think that this was like, hey, it's time to hang them up. Hang up, hang them up while you're out on top, and you know you can't complain about anything. Yeah, I I, I think that um, you know the I'm I'm gonna write a piece about this that people can read probably by the time this podcast is up about how. Um, there are going to be some some changes in the way Ohio State operates under Ryan Day as opposed to the way it operated under Urban Meyer. And that's, I mean, just what happens when you change coaches and, and to compare Ryan Day to Urban Meyer to um, to say, well, Urban Meyer did things this way and, and Ryan Day is doing them differently and Ryan Day's offense looks different. And um, basically the, 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 um, the thesis of the piece is that Urban Meyer's way worked really well for a really long time, and he won a whole lot of games. And in the last couple of years, those wins didn't really um, lead to anything. And it, it's, you know, those wins are great. It's it's great that he has the pure numbers. It's great that he has 83, what is it, 83 wins during his time at Ohio State? I, I think that's right. Um, and that's, you know, that's awesome. That's statistically speaking, the best coach in school. He won a national title. He won quite a few conference championships. I think he won the division almost every year. It was, you know, dominated dominated Michigan. He did what he was expected to do at Ohio State. But a change from the way that this program has been run in the last four years is not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing at all because – um, the, I remember in 2014, the big saying was the chase and it was this, this hunger that the program had to go and get Alabama, that the program had to go and win a championship. And then the year after it was like the grind or something. And 
it's just it's been that for four years now it's it's been the grind for for four seasons it yep. has been well we're more talented than them and we're not going to prepare for it but we'll probably beat them anyway once we grind them into salt um and we'll just hope that that we're you know still there and they didn't game plan for us or anything and you go in a whole lot of games like that when you have five stars all over the field and other teams don't the big 10 is not uh the best conference in the world and even in the best conferences which i mean the big 10 is certainly one of the best conferences but there's no college football conference that is enough of a gauntlet to make it that five-star teams can't just do that i mean you can win a whole lot of games if you have a very what was still a very good coach i don't think he was elite anymore but what was still a very good coach and um one of the most talented rosters in the country you're going to win 12 games a year and I, i think that it's time for ohio state to take the next step and it's strange to say that you're taking a step um moving on from urban meyer or urban meyer rather moving on from ohio state but I think that Ryan Day can bring this program into the future. I, I think that Ryan Day has the offensive chops. I, I think that he has the the knowledge needed. They they went out and hired Mike Yursich, which is a hire I don't love. <laughs> I, I know that you I know that you like it quite a bit and I'm I'm more and more sold on it as I talk to people in Big Twelve country and um talk to people who know more about football than I do who say that he should be awesome in the Big Ten and I think that the way that the offense is moving is very encouraging. I think that the passing concepts, the running concepts, everything that they're doing is very encouraging. And I I think that Ryan Day is probably going to move on from some nepotism hires that should have never been made. And I think that all of that is necessary. And I think it's all good. And I think it will help the program in the long run. And I, I think that Urban Meyer can be remembered for what he did and appreciated for what he did. Um, but I don't think he should be yearned for. I, I don't think that Buckeye fans should spend however long it takes to transition to Ryan Day. And I mean, if he's losing 10 games a year in three years, he shouldn't be here. But if it takes him a year or two to to adapt his system to this talent, to adapt the talent to the system, whatever it may be, um, I, I don't think it's fair to him to immediately say, well, they got to bring Urban back. They they got to bring Urban back. He, he can fix this because I don't think he can. I, I don't think Urban can fix uh, problems at a program anymore. And I think Ryan Day is the guy for the job, and I think he's ready to do it. And that's not a knock on his character or a knock on him as a human. I, I think we all have a shelf life, you know, whether it's in actual just our life in general or our place of business or whatever it is we do, there's going to be a time where you just aren't what you were. And that's why when you talked about, you know, the way Urban Meyer, what an Urban Meyer He's so intense. He's so intense. Yeah. But even, even with that, he wasn't running what an Urban Meyer program is. What we saw in 2014 and even, you know, for parts of 2012, I guess all of 2012 and, and most of 2013, it's just radically different. And, and the thing I always go back to is the intensity is, is always there, but just the way that they would attack, whether it was offensively or defensively, even if those teams had problems, they never were scared. And this team, and to your point, the previous four teams, whether it's been one unit, both units, the coaches, the quarterback, they've always seemed timid. And I, I think that 
despite him being so intense, he's been very afraid to lose, and that's not when Urban Meyer programs are at their best. It's when they're willing to take chances. It's when they're willing to push forward. You know, when they lost to Virginia Tech, they said, hey, we're, we're pushing forward. We got to make some adjustments. We know what we're going to do. We're good. And everything, everybody was going crazy after that. And did. And they went on a really special run. And we've seen that at times in the past four years. But there's always just seemed to be a little bit of conservative conservatism as we've gone on and as you know 2015 went into 2016 into last year and then into 2018 it just felt like every single year that got more and more that rather than you know going playing to win on both sides of the ball that it became more about hey we're probably going to win we're coming into this we know what we want to do but we don't want to we want to avoid mistakes and we don't want to lose and that's not when he's at his best that's not when his programs are at the best and that's why for me I think we're we're on the same wavelength here that that's why it's time is because he can't even run a program the way that he runs it best and you might as well get away from that when you're still pretty much at the top or near the top then hey Urban Meyer comes back in 2019 and they go 8 and 4 cuz that's when the problems happen so I, I think you get out with a Rose Bowl win, you get out with a 13-1 and season, you move to Ryan Day, He's he knows what he wants to do, he's already coached in three games, and I think for losing a coach like Meyer, this is the best thing, this is the best way for them to transition, and Ohio State got super lucky again that they've not lucked into it, but they've had something where they can fall back on, and we'll see what Ryan Day does. But given his experiences so far, I'm very encouraged, and it's just it was time, and I, I like where it's going. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that um, I, I think that that's really the best way to describe it. Urban Meyer, his style of coaching just doesn't work with someone who has the the legitimate health issues that he does, and you know we saw it on the sideline all year long, and he's talked about it pretty openly, which is, I mean commendable that he has talked so openly about the issues that he is having and I think it's for the best for all parties and that's just kind of how things end and you know like you said everything has a shelf life Urban Meyer we knew his shelf life when Ohio State hired him and I think that he outlived it um I I I really did not expect Ohio State would get seven years out of him and um I I think that he gave this program quite a bit and I, I think that they are in a good place moving forward um, as long as Greg Schiano gets fired. <laughs> Dude, you know what? We're, and we're going to talk about that. And and I, I don't think that we're, we're being as negative as we probably thought we were going to be heading into this one. We're going to be about Schiano and Bill Davis, by the way. But you said it earlier, man. I am, I'm just so glad that this season is over because... We're free. <laughs> we're, we're free, but when you look back at it and... I, I don't. I didn't go back and listen to our podcast after this happened. I have never I listened to one of our podcasts. <laughs> I don't want to put words in in our mouths or or lie about something that we did or didn't say, but I know how I felt when he got up on that stage at Big Ten Media Days and when this when the Zach Smith stuff totally popped off. And for me, right after that happened, and I know we talked about it on that episode, and I don't know if we said it, but I know that I felt oh shit, it's going to be one of those seasons. And it was. And you know exactly what I'm t- It's like how 2015 was. It's like how part of 2016 was watching the offense. 
And that's how this season was from the moment that it before it even started in all year, whether it was that, whether it was the way they handled the press conference and suspending him, him coming back, some of the other things that went on, the Purdue game, just from the moment that that happened in that press conference and the days that followed, it felt like, oh shit, it's going to be one of those seasons. And it was. And the, the crazy thing is, and how unique Ohio State is, is that with all of that, they go 13-1, and one, they win the Rose Bowl, they win the Big Ten, they destroy Michigan, but it still felt like, wow, it's one of those seasons. And to me, that's just... Just a side note and what makes Ohio State so interesting, but they were never able to shake that. And I think the stuff that happened in the offseason, as much as they can say that they rallied around each other, and it's obvious that they did to a, to some extent. I don't know how any of that is tangible to anybody on the outside like us talking about it. But to say that it didn't affect them at all, I think would be lying because they went through the motions all season. And I don't think they ever covered from what happened at big 10 media days. Yeah. And, and not to jump too far away from this, but we do have some, uh, some actual breaking news to, to report here on the podcast. I mentioned it earlier, um, but Ohio state has officially announced the, um, the, the hiring of Oklahoma state or former Oklahoma state offensive coordinator, Mike Yurcich as the quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. Um, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, on your sitch and that, that hire in general? I honestly don't know a lot about him. I just wanted to send that tweet from the account just to see what you did. But, but, but from what I know, I, I like it. And I, I read, you know, what you wrote and you guys should check it out as well. We'll link to it about your sitch and his philosophy and maybe not having the keys to the Oklahoma state offense. I think it's going to be very similar in Columbus and working with Ryan Day and I know you mentioned in that piece you know the Tim Beck thing the the one difference to me about this and Tim Beck is when the Tim Beck hire happened I just remember thinking like just from what I knew on the outside I was like wow this is gonna bomb like I know this guy's a great recruiter but he absolutely sucks and I don't think Yurcich is quite the recruiter we'll see what he does on a bigger stage and a bigger platform maybe that'll improve a little bit but I think from an X's and O's X's and O's an X's and O's standpoint and a coaching standpoint that it's going to be a much better fit and we'll see Ohio State's offense kind of I don't even know if moving to the, a new direction is the right phrase as much as just like have some more diversity and be a little more updated and not be so locked in to what they want to do and I think having an outside voice like that is going to really help and I think it's going to benefit everyone. Yeah, I, I talked to um, yesterday when the hire was kind of being tossed around and everybody kind of knew it was done. I talked to a former um, a former college football player who knows a lot more about football than I do and is, is generally very smart and is a big, um, big 12 fan, watched quite a bit of Oklahoma State in the last couple of years. And um, I, I think that I, I trust his insight on this quite a bit and his insight essentially – was that if Yurcich is allowed to um, to focus on the passing game, to focus on passing concepts, and work with uh, with Day and a um, a running game coordinator? We don't know if that'll be Kevin Wilson or, or someone else yet. I'm I'm guessing Wilson stays, but I really don't know at this point. I think I'd maybe rather have someone who knows how to coordinate a running game because he's more of a passing guy. But 
um, basically the 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 gist of this conversation was that um, your just wasn't really doing anything new in the Big 12, just because that's what everybody in the Big 12 does. But his schemes, his um, his route trees, his concepts in general are new to the Big Ten almost entirely. And he does a lot of wheel route stuff. He does a lot with uh, smaller, faster running backs, which um, relates. J.K. Dobbins and Demario well, yeah, which, on those wheel routes next year, <laughs> which Woo! relates specifically to this podcast because I also saw that. Um, Tony Alford said that um, that uh, Demario McCall is full time in the running backs room now, which is where he should be. He's a running back, um, so I was I was very happy to see that, and I think that Demario is going to benefit greatly from being an Orion Day Mike Yurcich offense. Um, <laughs> hopefully, people can pick up on that and can hear that because it's a little quiet. But we'll see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think that Demario should get a significant amount of carries next season because um, he's good. He's good at running and he's he's very fast, and I like watching him play. But I think that Yurcich's uh, wheel route concepts. I think that his passing game knowledge in general is valuable. You you mentioned his recruiting. I think that if he's just responsible for quarterbacks, um, his job's not too tough under Ryan Day. I, I think that. Um, quarterback recruiting is not going to be a huge issue for Ohio State in in the next couple of years, and that's not just a guess. That is um, that is a a very very informed opinion. Um, I, I do not think Ohio State's going to have issues recruiting uh, quarterbacks, regardless of who the the quarterbacks coach is, for as long as Ryan Day is here. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, I um. I like the hire. I don't love it. There were some other more creative options I would have liked to see. I would really, really love to see um, someone off of the uh, someone else along with Ryan Day off of the Chip Kelly tree to uh, to coach the running game, to coordinate the running game, because I would really love to see that option come to Ohio State and paired with the uh, the air raid concepts in the passing game. But that's that's a little bit inside baseball. Um, that also might be a column at some point that people can look out for. But, um, yeah, I, I think Yurcich is a good hire. I, I think that he, he can do a, a really good job here if they, they let him focus on the passing game, and that seems to be the plan. We should probably talk about the football game <laughs> at some point. My last thing about Yurcich and the running game in particular, I don't know. I mean, I know a little bit about his previous stops before Oklahoma State, but I do know that Mike Gundy is pretty rigid with what he wants to do in that offense and what, what he likes to call. And I, I think, and I I don't think it's too far off base that Ryan day will be a little bit more open when it comes to different ideas and different ways to move the ball, not only by running, but throwing the ball as well. And it's just unknown. We'll see if, if he is just kind of the, the passing game guy and isn't so much into the run game, or if that was just, you know, I was kind of not shackled. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Where you know he gets to a different spot, and Dave's just like, "Yeah, do your thing, man." And he's like, "Okay, I can finally, you know, put in some of these different concepts that we did just really didn't want to do at Oklahoma State because Mike Gundy has a certain way." So something to look out for, like you said, inside baseball. But yeah, we're gonna get a new voice in the Ohio State offensive room, and you know, we we have. You you brought it up that the offense has been really good, but it still feels like it's been missing a little bit. And 
Next year, I'm already very excited to see what they do because there is still so much talent on this offense. We'll see what happens at quarterback, but even disregarding that, just skill position-wise, and I think we both were very encouraged with what we saw from a lot of the offensive line and the guys coming back, and if Michael Jordan comes back, it sounds like he's going to play guard. Hallelujah, baby. <laughs> we're saved. <laughs> There's a lot to be encouraged about, and and that was, a, that was one small thing that he said that about Michael Jordan where I was like, Okay, there are some differences between the way him and Meyer think, and there's I think a lot of little stuff like that is going to happen. There might not be big picture stuff like firings, but there'll be stuff like oh, this guy isn't going to play there anymore. Or, Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda are our starting cornerbacks that we've been calling for, and you get a new voice at the top. That stuff is going to happen, so I would advise everybody to be on the lookout for that this offseason. It's just little stuff like that. That's where you're really going to see the mark and the differences between the way that Day runs the program and some of those those decisions made, which include a guy like Demario McCall getting in in the first half in the Rose Bowl, which I think adds some credence to your theory that Ryan Day coached the first half when he got that early carry. But that's that's what we'll start to see, and those are the differences. But what what else do we want to talk about from the game? Because there is some some good things to get through to and some other things that, that aren't good. Real quick, Ryan Day, we are available as analysts. He'll email us. Uh, we are we are available for hire. Pay us to no football. Um, <laughs> Listen, you pay me minimum wage to yell at these linebackers. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll yell at Greg. They want me to yell at Greg. I'll do it. <laughs> for them to throw me through a wall. I promise you won't have to pay my hospital bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the game itself, let's eh, let's let's start with um, let's start with Dwayne Haskins. Let's start with um, I, I think I think I'm ready to say it. Probably the best quarterback in school history. Probably the best quarterback season in school history, at least. Um, just an incredible year that he had. Uh, he finishes with, with what, 50 touchdowns on the season? I think right on the nose. Yeah, 251 yards on 25 of 37 against Washington. Um, had a really great first half, had a not as great second half. I think a lot of that came to the fact that Ohio State got super conservative and um, his line left him out to dry quite a bit against the Blitz in the second half. That was That was kind of my main takeaway from watching back over again shout out to skycam skycam is awesome <laughs> beautiful i i did the whole film room with skycam and it, it kicks ass it's it's extremely helpful um but yeah he he had an awesome first half he had he made some really really incredible throws especially late in the half he had a a corner route throw to paris campbell that was right on the money he had a, a seam throw to kj hill that was on the money he made a um, a really fantastic read on one of the first drives of the game where he, he caught a safety blitzing and just dropped it right over top of him for a, a touchdown to Paris Campbell. He was as good as he's been all year, and it was it was really a delight to watch what I can assume is his last game. I, I know that he said um, I know he said he's 50-50. I still I don't buy it. I, I would love to see him back. I do not buy it. There's, I mean... Unless he really loves like taking tests and going to class, it 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 does not make a lot of sense for him to keep um, playing football for free. I, I think he could. I think he could make quite a bit of money doing this, and I, I hope that he does. Yeah, he's he's great. Some of those early throws, he had a corner to Terry McLaurin on the sideline where the cornerback was right there, and he 
he just put there was no other place you could put the ball and he put it right on him there there were just some incredible throws you can still see that he has some things to work out but he's a 20 21 year old quarterback and he's making I think a lot of he's not making every easy read I know the thing on him has been like oh he doesn't go through progressions and that's fine he doesn't go through progressions like an NFL quarterback but you know newsflash a lot of those guys are doing the same things now Josh Allen just got drafted in the top 10 and the way the way that those run and but when he when he is there and he's able to process things the the throws that he makes and it's not just when you hear arm talent it's mostly like this guy has a rocket arm and he could throw the ball 80 yards downfield and he could do that he can throw the ball forever but there were just some touch passes that were over linebackers heads uh over linebackers in between safeties just really ball placement stuff the Rashad Berry throw for the 50th touchdown it may look like an easy throw but to put that on the money where he's running and can just turn up into the end zone like that that's a nice throw and that was all showcased and there are obviously things he needs to work on but for most of the time he was he was impressive he was very awesome 25 at 37 251 three touchdowns no interceptions on the passing game shout out to Paris Campbell man fifth Ohio State receiver all time to go over a thousand yards who would have ever guessed that he would do that he was able to do that with the first touchdown of the game after what feels like a decade at Ohio State he is going to go off to the NFL I don't know how much of a pure receiver he's going to be but speed wise and just his ability to accelerate away from people his hands are have improved drastically since he's been here I think he can have a very long NFL career and and be a productive player I I feel really glad and happy for him that he was able to have the type of season that he did also set the single uh single season receptions record that's just crazy to think about and other receiver wise Terry McLaurin uh, had a couple of catches, had a really nice stick on special teams. We've said it before. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Terry McLaurin's going to play like 15 years in the NFL and make a play to win a Super Bowl or something. He is just like the ultimate glue guy and can do everything. He's going to get drafted late and stick around, make a team, and be a receiver for a long time in the NFL. So couldn't be happier for the receivers. We've talked about them so much this season. We thought they would be... They were the biggest question mark on the team, and they've been the best unit, and it's been awesome for all of them. They all really deserve it. So those two guys stood out, at least when it comes to uh, the receivers for me. Yep, word up to those guys. Um, really best of luck to those seniors and possibly K.J. Hill in the NFL. I know he hasn't announced anything yet. There was a, uh, a teleprompter <laughs> blunder during the, the week that scared some people. But, um, yeah, Paris Campbell, like you said, had a he had a really good game he had 11 catches 71 yards and the touchdown I mentioned earlier he was great all season long um he really became the playmaker that Ohio State thought he would be and I'm, I'm glad he put it all together um Johnny Dixon Terry McLaurin both you know like the the football equivalent of glue guys like you'd see on a basketball team I mean making tackles on special teams Terry McLaurin probably one of the best gunners I've ever seen he's he's spectacular he's awesome he he really it, it seems like he loves to to hit on those plays and he loves to get down there and he's you you could not design a better uh gunner and that's that's the thing that matters that's the thing that legitimately matters I think Ohio State probably won at least one game this year if, if you know maybe like the Michigan State game because of how great their gunners were and how great this this punt coverage unit was and he was really the leader of that and and offensively speaking 
He certainly didn't put up huge numbers all year, but great blocking. Um, his hands got significantly better as his career went on. He had the big catch, like you mentioned, and glad to see those guys go out on a high note. I, I think that they are. Um, I, I think that they're some of the best that Ohio State and that college football has to offer, and really, really great players, really great people, and um, just so glad to see them find success under Brian Hartline and. Glad to see them get out from underneath a really gross, bad um, scandal that their that their old, you know, position coach had, and to see those guys um, get get the the kind of coaching and the you know the kind of send off that they deserve, and it, it's too bad that they had to deal with um, the the prior regime at receivers coach for so long because I, I don't think any receiver should have to deal with that, or any player, or really any person should have to be. Um, in close proximity with with Zach Smith for really any significant amount of time. Um, running game I thought was awesome in the first half. Second half it it was dreadful. It was really bad. Um, they were really doing the stuff we talked about. I think after the Purdue game we talked specifically about how um, they didn't seem to know how you could use like motion to uh, to kind of supplement not having a quarterback that can run or. Um, you can put a tight end in the box or various things. And in the first half, they figured that out. They were, they were great. They opened up holes for mostly Mike Weber and he was fantastic. There was a run specifically on a fourth and one. I think it was the second drive of the game where they put Chris Olave in motion and it, it served essentially as a quarterback keep option. And it was great. It was, it was so great. And they just forgot. Um, but you know, Best wishes to Mike Weber as well. I think that he's got a, a really we, – we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Really strange career for him, but um, really, really good way to end it. He was always a very, very solid player, very good player, and um, I, I think that he's another one of those guys that's going to stick in the NFL for a long time. Um, J.K. Dobbins and Demario McCall, I'm really excited to see next season in Orion Day offense. I'm really excited to see what they can do. Um JK should probably go back to being the consistent 100-yard guy that he was last year hopefully if they can figure out the um the blocking stuff and the you know get back to those creative play calls that we saw in the first half. DeMario McCall only two carries, but the the first one was goodness, it was electric. It was it was it was electric. He is um it was a it was a third and long and they motioned him into the backfield and man, when you get him in space, he is dangerous. He's just He's so fast. He's got extremely strong legs for someone as small as him because he can jump about 30 yards to to either side of him. And he um, he doesn't have the best vision in the world. He's obviously not a super powerful back, but you can't teach that quickness. You can't. You can teach vision. You can teach him how to read the the defense quicker and how to make those adjustments quicker. And I I think he's going to be a really really great asset for Ohio State when they get him in that running back room full-time for an entire offseason. Tight ends, too. Yeah. I'm buying that next year's the year. I don't know if they'll be like a 60-catch guy, but Luke Farrell is a part of the offense. He had a nice little goal-line catch. Barry with the touchdown. That's another thing Yurisich uses is, is tight ends. I forgot to mention that. We we didn't see Jeremy Ruckett this year. I could almost guarantee we are going to see Jeremy Ruckett <laughs> Yeah, let's hope so. Season. We're going to see... Yeah, we're going to see a lot more tight end play next season, so that's very encouraging. I, I think just looking forward, the offense... Is go- there's a lot going on with the offense heading into next season, and I think most of it is very positive, and hopefully things get retooled along the coaching front on the offensive line. I, I think that to some degree 
they will, but we'll, we'll see as the offseason goes on. Mike Weber, I felt really good for that he had a good game. He was running super hard, and like it's the cliche, like Mike Weber's making himself a lot of money, but I, I think that it really did benefit himself. He benefited himself the way that he ran and the way that he played, and it was nice to see him end his career on the on the note that he did. And it'll also be nice to not see whatever weird, like, double-headed running back scheme they have next year that jk dobbins can at least go into the year they can have a number one guy because as much as we like weber it, it just felt weird all year and it really was one guy plays well the other guy just like has a very weird day and that capped off a very weird season and, and things that we have been talking about all year uh defensively it was it was interesting because even when they were up 28 to 3 they played well they played, especially for the way they played all season, I was like, this is the best they've looked all season. But even then, Jake Browning had some very interesting I think throws. it certainly helps that they had Jake Browning to go against, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Washington's receivers were, they weren't great. They dropped a couple of passes, but for the most part, the defensive line, even when if they weren't piling up a lot of sacks, they were able to pressure him and force him out. We saw a lot of him scrambling, and that was, when we talk about adjustments, there just somehow wasn't an adjustment to just like yeah have have some have Baron Browning spy on that guy because even Tough Borland couldn't keep up with. Jake I mean Browning. even Tough Borland, Tough Borland can't keep up with me. <laughs> there was just like just stuff like that was was very frustrating. But for the most part, in the first half, they played really well, and then the second half, a lot of the issues that we saw all season came back. Um, if we want to go positive. Uh, my main takeaway, Chase Young obviously is, is going to be very good. He, he needs to take another step forward next season, which will be his last in Columbus. But if he's able to play at a more consistent level all the time, you're going to see another very high round draft pick for Chase Young in a year from now. And Jeff Okuda, we, we talked about it with the Cotton Bowl. We were like, hey, can, if Jeff Okuda Cotton Bowl can show up, that'll be really nice. Jeff Okuda Cotton Bowl yeah. showed up. He played well, had two very nice path breakups where he went across the field. He's their starting corner next year. Him and Sean Wade, we've been beating this drum since before the season even started. I don't care if Arnett and Sheffield come back. though They they ain't it. They are not the guys. And I saw that Arnett is like debating whether to go to the NFL. I don't know if I, – I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. But even if they, they don't come back. Those two guys are your starters. They're better players. They're more consistent. The upside is higher. They can make more plays. Ohio State's starting corners didn't it didn't feel like they made a play on the ball all season long. And Jeff Okuda made two really nice ones, having to go across the field. And that's something that I think only Wade can do. So those two have to be the starters. And then Brendan White, very good game mm-hmm. in safety. Uh Jordan Jordan Fuller, just weird season for him. Interesting way for it to end, but Brennan White showed up, and I, I feel much more positive about the secondary heading into the offseason than I did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think that the um, the safeties were both pretty good. I think that, you know, like you mentioned, Okuda was awesome. He was he was shut down all game long, and this is what we had wanted to see from him, and I think if he had been given the opportunity, he probably could have shown more this year. Um, Sean Wade looked very good. Um, Damon Arnett, please... Please go get that money. If there's money offered to you, go get it. Um, Kendall Sheffield, same thing. Go, go get drafted in the fourth <laughs> round or something, man. I don't care. Uh, just don't. You, you you don't have to. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Um, 
I, I think that there's a possibility that Jordan Fuller might come back, which is very interesting to me. I, I think that he should probably go get paid um, just because I think everybody should go get paid if they can go get paid. But um, I think that a defensive backfield with Fuller, Brendan White, um, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, and then like Josh Proctor at nickel or Amir Reap at nickel or even like Isaiah Pryor at nickel. Um, would be very interesting to me. I, I think that, that could be a very, very good secondary, um, and it would be a really good chance for Alex Grinch and Tabor Johnson to prove um, their worth or to prove any kind of worth at all because they didn't do it a lot this season. But I think with that group, they would kind of have a, a prove-it year, kind of a, um, you know, you, you're either good this year or you're gone because this is the best group you're going to get. And I think we could have one of those situations next year, and that could be really, really awesome for Ohio State's defense if those coaches can step up. You know when fans on the internet say, like, for an obviously a top pick, like a top 15, 20 pick guy like Denzel, we're like, he could come back and he could you use mean another Dwayne year Haskins? of seasoning. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, he could use another year of seasoning. Uh, that's, that's like Jordan Fuller. I can see it of, like, he could use a – year of not playing for Greg Schiano and getting ready for the NFL. Like I could see you making that case for a guy like Fuller, but also like, yeah, if he's, if he can test really well, like you might as well go, but he definitely is a guy. I think that especially if they get rid of Schiano, that he could use another year and and get ready and be a more well-rounded player before he goes to the NFL. Yeah, I, I think that the, the defensive backfield and the front four were pretty encouraging in this game. I, I think that um, Tyreek Smith showed why he was such a highly rated recruit. He had a really nice play. Ooh, he's going to be good. Yeah, he's going to be real good. Um, and uh, I, it was nice to see Jay Sean Cornell make a couple plays. I think he had a sack. He looked good. Chase Young, like you mentioned, a little bit more consistent but he looked good Jonathan Cooper um really all those guys I I, I think that the defensive line is not going to skip a beat next season um should be just as good as always um the issues with the defense are as they were all season long um linebackers can't tackle linebackers can't cover the linebackers really can't play um the the defensive backfield was better than usual the linebackers were still bad Pete Warner um, tough Borland, I said it earlier, they're not Ohio State caliber. And I don't think that that's their fault. They they didn't, you know, they didn't really choose to get recruited by Ohio State. They they just kind of did. And it was it was a mistake for Ohio State to start these guys. I, I mean, I think Tough Borland would be an awesome linebacker in 2006. I, I think Pete Warner would be an awesome linebacker in 2006. But the the game has changed far too much. Um, he he's great against teams like Michigan, Michigan State. He's he's great. He can he can stuff inside runs as well as any linebacker. But and I, I think that you know there's certainly something to be said for the fact that he played seemingly the whole year injured with a leg injury, and he already wasn't fast last year. And he he played this year like he thought in his head that he was as fast as he was last year. And the the pursuit angles that he takes, I, I posted a couple videos on Twitter of him um, getting into the hole super quickly on outside runs and just not being able to keep up with the running back. And I understand that running backs are fast, but, like, man, you, you can't play at Ohio State and do that. You can't 
you can't do it. You have to be faster than he is to play at Ohio State. And I think Malik Harrison is it's it's awesome that they're getting him back. I think Malik Harrison's gonna be a star next season when they have a real defensive coordinator and a real defensive system and Bill Davis is off in hell or somewhere. Um but Tough Borland, Pete Warner, they're not it. They're they're just not the guys at linebacker and I, I would love to see a, a Harrison Browning linebacker group next year. I would love to see that. I would love to see Keandre Jones get his shot, Dallas Gant, Toronto Mitchell. I, I think that these are very, very good players who didn't really get a fair shot this season. And I don't think that the same can be said for Tough Borland or Pete Warner. I, I think that they have they have had a significant amount of time to prove themselves and they're just not they're not Ohio State caliber and I don't think that the things that they are lacking are things that can be fixed. Yeah, and you know, you you said it earlier. We're not going to trash these guys, but we we've seen enough. And I don't think it's just the coaching. The coaching is a major part of it. And Bill Davis, <laughs> that nail was already in the coffin. He has to go. He he just there's nothing there that I I think would warrant him staying at all. They have to find a new linebackers coach because they are actively hurting the way that their players play and they're not putting them in good positions and they're not putting the right players on the field. And that is something that has to change in 2019. And hopefully Ryan Day recognizes that and, and makes the according changes. Uh, Todd Borland had himself what I like to call an Anderson Russell Day. That was very Anderson <laughs> Russell. That was Deep a very, <laughs> very Anderson Russell Day from tough Borland, but like you said, you know, it, it's not because he's a bad player. He just doesn't fit. And I, I would like to see them make a significant change at linebacker. It looks like Malik Harrison is going to come back. Um, I think if they make a change at linebacker, you will see or change at linebacker coach and maybe even defensive coordinator. You will see Malik Harrison have a very good year because we've talked about it all year. He's going places fast he just doesn't seem like he he knows where he's going or has that final step. And there's a coach out there that I think can help him get to that. And that's that's the difference between him, you know, being what he might be in the NFL this year and maybe a fourth or fifth round pick and coming back next year and under someone else being like, damn, this is a top sixty player. This is a kid that's one of the best linebackers in America because athletically and just what he can do on the field, he's a monster. And the way that he moves is pretty unparalleled, even amongst some very other athletic and talented linebackers that Ohio State has. But I think next year he's going to be a name to watch if Ohio State's able to switch some things up on the coaching standpoint. You have anything else on the defense? The the only other thing I want to mention, Draymond Jones, he's a kid we've talked about First for rounder. years on this yep. podcast. He's awesome, man. He is really, really good. He ended his career the only way he could, playing his ass off. He almost sacked Browning on that one play. It was a really, really nice play there at the end. Um, he, he was great. He's been an awesome kid in the program. Wish him nothing but the best. He's been one of my favorite players to root for. He didn't get a lot of the TFLs, didn't get a lot of the sacks, but he cleaned up a lot of shit on the inside for those guys on the outside the last couple of seasons to be able to make plays. And I think he's going to be a force in the NFL. Um, you know, we're going to get another year of Big Bob Landers, it looks like. I can't believe he's still a junior. He had a very nice game. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see the rest of these defensive tackles. Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai, Antoine Jackson. I know I'm forgetting a couple other dudes, but they have a very deep presence at that defensive tackle spot. Devon Hamilton, uh, they're going to be super well-charged up 
for next season. So if they're able to shift what they do schematically and scheme-wise on defense, and Larry Johnson's one of the best, but if they can get some help from that back seven, man, you could be looking at quite the turnaround for the defense. So I, I'm I'm encouraged going into next season that we're going to see a more complete and better defense, and it's all going to start. It usually does with, at Ohio State with that defensive line. Yeah, I, I think I've got one last thing, and then I, I got to get out of here. But um, it, it's not as it's this is a rare thing here on this podcast. I'm going to make an official endorsement for for myself. You can you can choose to endorse it or not. Um, Ryan Day, drop the bag for Marcus Freeman. Go drop the bag for Marcus Freeman. I don't know if you watched Cincinnati play against Virginia Tech. Their defense didn't have a great game in in that game, but you can see it in that defense. You saw it all season long. Um, he doesn't have the talent there to to quite run the system that he would like to run, but you can already see it, and him and Luke Fickle have turned Cincinnati into a, a Jim Trestle style football team, both on offense and on defense, and um, they can keep the offense. I, I don't, I don't want that back, but I would sure love to have a Jim Trestle defense right now. And I think Marcus Freeman can run it. I, I think Marcus Freeman can get these linebackers going. You, you know, you mentioned wanting a guy who can, who can, you know, tap into the potential of Malik Harrison and really get him going. It's, it's Marcus Freeman. He is the choice. Um, I, I don't know if that's a if that's something that Ohio State is pursuing right now. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if um, both Shiano and Davis are gone and Freeman looks to bring in maybe another former Ohio State linebacker. I, I'm sure people know who I'm talking about, um, <laughs> but who has been campaigning for the job a little bit. Um, but we will see there. But um, the answer is Marcus Freeman in the defensive coordinator section. He is far and away the best possible choice that they could go and get. Um, you know, obviously an Ohio guy, he's a very, very good recruiter. I, I can say that 100%, you know, for sure. He is a very good recruiter. He has great connections in Ohio. He's a, he's a guy who can really relate to recruits and he's a very, very good football coach. I love his scheme. I love the things that he does with defenses. He should be the higher. I, I think that is my, um, Probably number one on my off-season wish list is that Davis and Chiano are gone. Marcus Freeman is brought in, and I, I think that is the best thing that could happen for Ohio State this off-season, short of like landing Justin Fields. Yeah, and we might yeah. do that as well. So we will see. It's going to be a really interesting off-season for Ohio State. It's all going to happen really quick. We're gonna we're gonna learn some things here in the next week or two about the direction of this team. And you and I have been extremely critical, and I think with very good reason this season. And the reason is, is that it, it, they're not that far away when we're talking about the defense, guys. Like, if they make a couple of changes. They got talent, yeah. <laughs> things are things are rolling on the offense, especially with day in. And if Fields comes in, they're, they're going to, and like you said, quarterback situation, even recruiting-wise, is going to be very well stocked. So that's where that being critical comes from, is that they're a couple changes away from being where they were in 2014 from being in the title, really being in the title chase every year and not having the same problems that they've run into the last three or four years. So we'll see what happens if they can do it. But I think as has kind of been a, a low key theme for this episode, despite some of the problems this year, there's a lot of things to be very excited about with this program and the direction that Ryan day is taking it in 2019. And like I said, we're, we're going to find out some things in the next couple of weeks. But like Patrick said, we got to dip out of here. There's a lot going on. 
We didn't get to talk about the uh, basketball game against Michigan State on Saturday. We'll talk about that and recap that game after it happens early on next week. So be on the lookout for that and all of our other basketball and football coverage. It's year-round, guys. We never take we don't take any time off from this. So stay tuned. SoundCloud.com slash Land. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you ever have any questions, shoot us a line at HolyLandPod. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am at Dubsco on Twitter. We want to thank you guys for listening to us all season long. Hope you have a great start to 2019, and you guys stick with us right here on the Hangout in the Holy Land. Go Bucks! <laughs>